are you actually motivated to do what it is that you say you want to do? Then, because if you're not, then you know we can you know we can do something else. we can you know watch Netflix. Um, and you know, one, once you've got that, once you've got that, yes, you're like, the, the, I want to work on this for me, not because somebody else has suggested it, not because somebody else thinks I should do it, but I am internally motivated and driven to do this. If we do that up front, then you're like nine times out of ten, you know, we'll get to where we're going, usually in quite a, you know, quite a quick period of time. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's show is with my friend, David Monroe Jones. And David is a consultant and coach in the UK, but he also runs an association on the International Authority of Professional Coaches and Mentors, pretty big mouthful. But one of the things we really get talking about is the importance of having a coach, of being coached, of really reaching out and getting an advisor to help you in whatever area of life that you are interested in. So uh, look forward to that component. Before we get into it, we talk about the show and it's almost like a broken record. And I apologize, listeners. It just seems to be a theme that is continuous. It's sort of like oxygen. You can't operate without it. And that is this whole area of self-awareness. And one of the things that David talks about in the show is that organizations and individuals, there's a huge gap between how they see themselves and how they really show up and what's really going on or how people really view them and how they they show up. And that's why feedback is so important. So today's show is sponsored by, of course, Consulting Resource Group, which is the other company that I own and CRG is one of the masters in developing and deploying self-awareness tools and assessments in a holistic manner. If it's health and wellness and stress, if it's leadership skills, if it's personality or personal style, if it's your core values, if it's job fit and you're an HR person. So I just encourage that if you haven't completed one of these assessments or tools that you would go to crgleader.com and look at what we have there. I mean, once people try a personal style indicator, we have about an 80% switch rate from other tools like DISC or Myers-Briggs or True Colors or other ones that are out there just because of the multi-theoried design. And that's now, today, or this year, when we're recording this, this is our 40th anniversary. So we've been doing this for a while and we have this track record that's three decades or so where we have this switch rate. Once people understand the differences and the power of the tools, they said, wow, that's just transformational. And when I got exposed to the tools for the first time in the late 80s, early 90s with Dr. Anderson, the founder of the company, is transformational for me. Oddly enough, the one tool that was the most transformational for me, which we don't talk about a lot, is the self-worth inventory or the confidence indicator and really discovered that my self-worth level was quite low in my family of origin, but in other areas very high. So that was extremely helpful at that time. So if you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, leave a positive comment and rating on whatever platform that you are listening to. Let us know how we're doing, what are some, um, maybe there's a guest that just rocks it that you listen to on another podcast and you'd love to have them on SOS and for us to be able to interview them, then uh, please just reach out 
and connect with us on whatever platform you're on. You can just go to info at crgleader.com or ken at crgleader.com. So thank you again for listening to SOS. And here's our show with David Monroe Jones. Well, today, actually, I'm, I'm have the pleasure of having a friend, a colleague on the show with us, and he's in this professional development space, helps people as a coach, as a consultant, as a trainer to take their productivity to the next level. And we'll get into all the details about how he does that. And he's joining me all across the water from the UK. Uh, well, it's this morning for me, this evening for him. I think it's like, you know, pretty well two o'clock. Maybe he's just was finished watching a Netflix or something like that. So welcome to the show, David Monroe Jones. David, welcome to the show. Well, Ken, uh, thank you very much. And I did giggle when you said that I just uh, finished watching Netflix. Uh, it's, uh, it's 7 p.m., so I'm likely to be watching Netflix a little bit later. Oh, of course, of course. So, David, we know each other, you know, through the coaching association and organization. And before we get into some of those, you've been a chief operating officer or are and, you know, leading this other coaching association and organization throughout the world as well. Uh, but let's just kind of back up a little bit. You have all this success and you're working and helping others to be successful. Uh, just give us a little bit about your personal journey, where you were born, and then sort of your, your family, your heritage family growing up as a young child. Yeah, sure. Um, I started off, I'll, I'll cover the, the family bit in a minute, but I, I was born in Gosforth, which is a small town just outside of Newcastle-upon-Tyne, which is on the northeast coast of England. And the official title for somebody who was born in that area is a Geordie. And my parents were uh, sort of around so I, like during the war. My dad was in the, the parachute regiment. My mother was a, a sort of a typist. Um, and, and they met, um, fell in love, and uh, sort of got married. And I came along in the 60s. I came along as a sort of adopted child. And family life was, was pretty good. I was brought up with uh, lots of pets, so I always had a cat or a dog. So quite early on, I developed a, a keen interest in sort of animals and, and sort of like in wildlife and things of that nature. My dad and mom were, sort of like, were very much the, the outdoor type. So we did a lot of camping. We did a lot of uh, sort of caravanning sort of in my sort of like younger days. And you would think that that might have you know, created a, a journey or a destination in terms of, so like, career. And it would be fair to say that, you know, certainly in the early stages, I was attracted to things like marine biology and I was attracted to zoology and wildlife ranger and things of that nature. Uh, but I can't lie, the, the marine biologist really came from watching Jaws. And I thought, oh, yeah, 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 that's the job for me, but perhaps without the... So like the great white shark. Yeah. Apparently. And um, the problem was, and I've got no problem with this, I'll hold my hands up about this, is that to go down some of those routes, you need to be quite good at things like chemistry or physics or maths. Um, and I'm not very good at any of those. They were never any of the subjects that I, that I really took to. So as a consequence of that, my um, sort of education, so like in career path, you're like generally just, you know, like just so like you're like wandered in a different direction. 
Now, when you think about wandering, so here I have interest in marine biology, but I don't really like science, so that is one a bit of a conflict there. So after you finished sort of grade school, or as we call high school in North America, what, what did you do after that, David? Well, I, I left school quite early. Um, my dad had passed away when I was only 11. Hmm. And as a consequence of that, sort of, you know, by the time I got to sort of mid-teens, money was getting a little bit tight. So the, uh, the concept and the prospect of going to university wasn't really there. And um, I left, uh, left school quite early and just took, you know, literally took the first job that I could get. So I had no, uh, no real career path, no real sort of career ideas at that point. It was just a case of, you're like, I need a job. You're like, what's out there? And the first job that I took was filling shelves in a shop. So what we would call, so like in the UK, a stock assistant. And it was uh, literally, you know, going around, filling the shelves, tidying up the shelves, so like you know, within uh, food retail, and generally just making sure, you like, people were happy. So I left um, school really without any you know, major qualifications of any description. Hmm. And so then after stocking shelves, where did that lead to you there as you started to mature? And by the way, just to back up for a second, how did you overcome the impact of losing your father so young? What, were, what would be some of the insights for your listeners about being able to move past that? I think the... Um, Probably the the biggest insight that um, I have, so like, like looking back over that, and um, I've spent a, a lot of time, so like, like working on that. And probably the biggest the biggest hindsight lesson is that I didn't work on it at the time. Um, at the time, I just you know, accepted what it was, and I was very cognitive even at that point so I would think through things rather than necessarily feel through things and I didn't have much connection with the emotion of what was going on and a, a personal example of that would be this I cried because I thought I had to not because I felt I needed to mm. and I've always used that expression when I when I've gone back on that and I think that you know anybody who is going through any situation is you know when people reach out and offer support, um, take it, you know, if, if it's appropriate and it, it feels right. And sometimes it won't feel right, but you know, my recommendation is that you do. And whatever is going on for you at the time is whatever is going on for you at the time. And don't let other people say that, oh, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. It's very much about you know, so like dealing with it and processing it. And even if it's many years later, that you have to go back to that and you have to you know, reflect on it, not necessarily relive it, but certainly reflect on it and you know, just ponder what was going on for you at that moment in time, then you, sh you should do that because there is nothing worse than dragging unresolved issues um, or so you're like baggage all the way through your life. Mm. You know, um, life is hard enough as it is with the, you know, the difference of like turns and things that it throws at you without dragging anything else with it. And I think the other thing as well is that there are, uh, and I'm sure we'll come on to this in a little while, but you know, there are lots and lots of different you know, routes and avenues that you can take to deal with things like that, you know, whether it's 
counseling or psychotherapy or you know, any other sort of therapy or you know, bereavement um, counseling and advice and so on and so forth, that if you are going to go down that route, you find the one that works for you. And there's nothing wrong with you know, like exploring a few different options to you know, find out you know, what, you know, what really works. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about it, David, lots of times, it's not about being self-centered. It's just being aware and awake of what works for you. Mm-hmm. And everybody is well-meaning with their advice, but it's not necessarily well-applied or something that will fit for you. So you say thank you very much and move on. So thank yeah, you, David, absolutely. for that. So you were finishing and you were doing st- stacking shelves. Uh, and we'll come back into your coaching stuff here in a bit. Where did you go from there? Because you actually have a master's degree now uh, in management learning. So obviously you went back to school somewhere. Yeah, I, um, so the part of history after that was that um, I got into a, a management program and I moved into sort of management roles within retail, within distribution. And as I progressed through that, I had a, a small period of time working in sales. I was absolutely terrible. I hated every moment of it. I rose very quickly to worst salesman in the company, and um, I was told that as well. And I moved back out of sales, went back into uh, management roles. And while I was working in distribution, I spent a lot of time uh, mentoring or training, so like new people coming into the organization, so introducing them to the systems, the processes, the, the procedures. And during that point, I became really interested in, uh, as it was at the time, so like training and then uh, training and development and then learning and development. And I was in a, a catch-22 situation because I wanted to move into the training department or a training department in any organization. But I didn't have a training qualification. And in those days, the only way you got a training qualification is if you were working in the training department. So I was sort of stuck. And I'd mentioned this to one of the HR managers. And fortunately enough, as it was, I was on holiday in Scotland at the time, a position came up for an operational trainer in the organization. So I applied for that. I was fortunate enough to to get the position, so I started working as an operational trainer. We had a change of structure at the senior level within the department, uh, and I remember this meeting uh, vividly because there were about uh, so like four of us in the department at the time, and we were told on the Friday, right, uh, we're moving away from operational training. You're now going to become management trainers. And I said, oh, you know, great, that sounds, that sounds really, really good. Who's going to train us? And the response was, well, you know, like you're all trainers. You'll just go out there and train yourself. So part of the process was just going out and reading you know, any management book or leadership book I could get my hands on. And as I progressed through different sort of training roles, and that started off as just trainer, regional trainer, and then uh, gradually working my way up to uh, looking after the learning development, so like for the UK, UK, and Europe. One of the roles that I had, I was talking to a tutor that had come in from Ashridge University about what I should do for my own career development. And they suggested, oh, you know, perhaps you want to do a master's. And when I uh, so like finished giggling, because I didn't have a first degree, mm-hmm. um, I thought about, well, well, you know, are you sure I could do something like that? And I said, oh, yeah, um, 
you know, approach this university, so it was Lancaster University, so I approached them um, with, you know, I, I have to be honest, you know, a little bit of trepidation because I thought, well, you know, I haven't got a first degree, you know, I haven't really got that degree of experience. And they said that uh, providing I could uh, demonstrate some evidence of my writing capability and my research capability that, you know, they would consider accepting me on the program. Uh, so I went away and I wrote a, a small select project essay about the differences between coaching and mentoring and that was acceptable for the program and um, that's how I ended up selecting on the master's program. And that was a, a two-year research-based degree um, on a self-learning principle. So you identified what it was that you wanted to learn, you went out there and researched it um, brought the evidence back and then demonstrated that to all of the people who were there, so that you saw your compatriots on the program as well as the faculty from the university. And then it was a very much a, you know, there was a, then a group discussion and then within the group they would come out with a, well, you know, we think that your score is around about this level. It was agreed and then, then you progressed. So there were a number of what they called uh, project essays uh, there were a number of uh, sorry, more meaty project essay research aspects to it, which was a sort of forerunner for the dissertation. And then there was a, a dissertation at the end, which I completed on uh, self-managed learning. Mm, cool. Now, David, that would have been innovative or innovative, whatever way you want to say it, back then for schools to do it. Because interesting enough, when I did my MBA, which was accredited out of Macau in New Zealand was the same way where now I yeah. went to classes, but to have a project-based master's degree at that time, that, that was just something that was coming up here in North America with the Phoenix University where blended learning was being hmm. accepted for adults. So congratulations on doing that. Oh, yeah, thank you. And you know, I, you know, I'm happy to say that you know, when I first went there, and uh, I'd read, it's like everything else, so you can read a prospectus and have a general idea about what it is, but it's not until you get there and somebody explains it that you think, well, well, that's not necessarily what I thought it was going to be. And when they went through this description at the beginning, because uh, like a lot of people, you know, when you go on a training course or an event, there's almost that expectation that it's going to be, you know, like tables, you're like in a U shape or you're know, like theater style and you're going to have folders and overhead projectors as it was at the time, PowerPoint as it would be now, with your, and everything else. And there was none of that. It was just, you like, comfy chairs and you're, like, sitting down. And from coming from quite a formal, you know, like, sort of, like, training perspective, you know, in the way that I was, sort of, you know, like, training and running programs, um, yeah, it was, it was scary. I mean, so, you know, it freaked me out. And I would, there were a couple of times in that initial week where I was wondering, you know, like, can I do this? Is this you know, really for me? Uh, but I, you know, I talked to a number of other people on the program who were having similar, similar concerns. You know, and we all sort of banded together and said, right, you know, we'll support each other as we go through this. Um, and you know, I'm you know, absolutely so pleased that I didn't you know, step out of it at the time that I could have done. And you know, I think that would have been you know, like a really big mistake. Well, interesting enough, David, as an observer from the outside, it helped you to learn a different way to learn, mm -hmm. and you're taking a degree on learning. So, hey, yeah, how about yeah, that? Absolutely. <laughs> what's, what's the odds that that would actually teach yourself? So that's pretty yeah. good. So, 
So let's skip right into it, David, your expertise now for the last several years. And so thank you for that. You have managed to be an expert around coaching, around learning, around management. And so I would just want to talk now for a bit, David, about what you're finding in the marketplace as a consultant. What are you discovering are the gaps that many organizations have in terms of achieving the results that they want to achieve? What are you discovering out there? One of the things that, that I notice probably more than anything else is, and I, I certainly don't want to do any organization a disservice here, is the difference between what their perception is about what's going on and what the reality is about what's going on. And an organization's ability to actually you know, like look really deeply and almost do that organizational self-awareness about um, who have we got, what's going on, you know, what's our planning like, you know, like what's happening within the, the, the talent sector. You know, there's a lot going on about um, so like, like booker organizations. There's a lot going on about so like, like culture within organizations, talent pools, and so on and so forth. And by the way, David, I just tell the listeners that VUCA stands for volatility, so an uncertainty, and then the C stands for you use the uh, word. We use the acronym so often, but anyways, it's just this whole um, element of uncertainty and continuous change is what it's referring yes, to. Yes, yeah, so yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, so, like, my apologies. It's so like it, it completely slipped my mind there. And it is, I mean, so you raise a valid point just like in, you know, sort of in your question back to me about you know, the, the acronyms that are out there about whether an organization follows a specific route because it thinks it should, because everybody else is doing it, or because it's done that internal analysis and it's, you know, it recognizes, right, you're like, based on what's going on and based on what we know about what's likely to happen in the future, this is the direction that we need to take. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's, it often surprises me, or it used to surprise me probably more than it does now, that you can talk to quite senior people in organizations and ask them certain questions. And they will turn around and say that, oh, you know, like that, that's an interesting point. I haven't been asked that question before, or I haven't been asked that question recently. And within that is almost the, well, you know, like really, you know, within your position in an organization, you should really be sort of, you know, asking that question you know, like all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the other thing that's, that's quite noticeable in organizations is you know, when, you know, when people are looking at you know, certainly the people side of the organization, which is you know, where I tend to spend you know, like most of my time, is that there is a recognition that irrespective of what systems you have in place or procedures, you know, it's the people that will be operating those systems and procedures. So everything ultimately comes down to you know, like the people. And part of that is looking at um, who the people are, you know, like what is the role they've got, how do they respond to certain situations, and what does the organization expect of them, but also what does the organization allow them to do. And one of the, one of the key things that uh, I'm always curious about in organizations is the, sort of the, the communication about you know, like what's going on, why it's going on. Um, I'm naturally curious about mission and vision statements. I'm naturally curious about 
select values and you know, certainly in like in in some organizations uh, when you're looking at the, you know, the, the the whole construct of the organization you've got that right well you know, we've got a vision and we've got a mission and we've, we've got a series of values but my question is always right if I went to anybody else in the organization and asked them what the mission is what the values are you know um, what will they tell me you know so like I really know what it is and if they do then you know, do they know how they are, how they're translated into you know, like behaviours and you know, like and why do you have them? So I think the uh, there's a lot going on, a lot written about uh, the volatility in organisations now. There is a lot uh, about you know working cross globally, and so like globalisation and you know, so like the, the international aspect. There is a lot about working. Uh, smarter rather than harder and you know, that's been going on you know, for so like many years now mm. but you know, actually translating it into practice you know, like is a, a, another thing altogether well it's interesting David because you're talking about the gap of organizational self-awareness we've talked about it before on different shows about the gap of self-awareness of self in the latest research that one of my colleagues did, it said that 95% of people think they know themselves, but only 10% actually do and are congruent with how other people see them and how they actually show up. Mm -hmm. So what you're suggesting is, is that this is actually pretty common or there for um, organizations as well. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it, when you think about dealing with that, it's really asking some difficult questions, paying attention to it, not being oblivious to what's really going on and what's happening. And there's always shocks and surprises in organizations where well, I didn't know that was going on. Now, and of course, that can change no matter what the size, if it's a small firm of 10 or 20 or a larger one of 2,000 or 5,000. Hmm. So with that, David, you know, I, around organizations and sort of that gap, I get that. The next one is, you know, you oversee, just share with the audience the name of the association you're part of because I always got IAPC and M and I said, boy, that's a mouthful. So what is the name of the coaching association and authority where you actually certify other coaches? What's the okay, official so, name? Okay, so the, the official name is, as you say, so like is the uh, IAPC and M, which is the International Authority for Professional Coaching and Mentoring. And uh, my route sort of into, sort of into the organization um, started sort of like many, many years ago, so when I uh, first qualified really as a coach. And the organization had a, a different title there, which um, I'll also not, not draw into. And there was an opportunity really sort of to move into a, a sort of voluntary position. Uh, within the organization and I thought great you know, like I've just qualified as a, as a coach um, you know it would be quite nice to be able to you know like help out within the the organization and it was very much a uh, American beauty moment in terms of like, you know, like I, I'd like a role but I'd like the you know, like the least amount of responsibility you know, like possible and I started off as international head of operations which was not what I was originally looking for and within that role, so like I looked after all of the the different sort of like uh, country heads from around the world, 
and gathered the reports and sort of and, and put those forward. And I took a little bit of time out really to concentrate on developing my own business. Um, I came back and headed up the continuous professional development aspect of the organization as well as at that point taking over accreditation for uh, individuals and training providers. Mm. And then uh, around about uh, two and a half years ago, um, yeah, again, so like having a bit more time out to concentrate on developing my own business, uh, I came back and somebody mentioned that, oh, yeah, there's a role for managing director, to which I said, um, you're like, <laughs> no chance. You're like, I'm, I do not want to do that. I want to go back to the whole thing about uh, minimum responsibility, thank you very much. But uh, for one reason or another, and being uh, encouraged by so like, like quite a lot of people, I was encouraged to take the role. So I took the role. I, I've never personally liked the title of managing director. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm, I'm much more into operations. So you know, I, I quite like you know, chief operational officer or chief operations officer, depending upon you know, which you prefer. So I, I took that role with a view to uh, really sort of like changing the organization based around uh, consultancy projects that I'd run for other organizations. And, you know, and that is the role that I still hold. And David, of course, that the full disclosure is that CRG is a partner with uh, IAP CNM, and we appreciate mm. that relationship as we grow and develop that over time. So I mm. want to step back Absolutely. for the listeners, David, you know, as you're heading that organization up, but I really want to take the last part of the show. So we have about 10 minutes or so left. I really want to talk about the importance of coaching and why that should be something that people should, everybody that's listening should consider coaching or getting coaching as part of their professional development track. So let's kind of just dive into it. When we think about coaching, what, what are really the benefits of somebody getting coached? Why should I bother with that? Why should I invest in that? Yeah, that is um, probably the, you know, the most important question that you can ask. Um, and what I always say to people is that, that you know, if, you're, if you're considering coaching, you know, at any level on any topic, that is the first question that you really want to ask. You're like, you know, what, you know, what am I going to get out of this? Or, you know, should I really bother? Because in asking that question, you can start to dig into so like a, a more fundamental question, which is, you know, A, are you ready for coaching? And B, can you actually be coached? Because uh, I have a... I have a personal point of view, so like around coaching, which is based around the simple principle that, look, um, you know, when you meet your coach, you, know, you need, you know, in fact, sorry, both of you need to know that you can work together because coaching can either be described as um, very warm and fluffy, and so like you know, like a feel good factor, which is you know, fair enough, but if you want, you know real sustainable change if you want to change behaviors or attitudes or you know you want to grow in self-confidence or you want to improve your leadership or you want to be a better executive or you want to change the culture of an organization or you want to be able to succeed in a project or you want your career to take off or you want uh, to be more impressive so like when you're like talking in public 
that is going to be a difficult process you know, at times. Um, so you need to have, and I think Marshall Goldsmith sums it up quite nicely by saying uh, things like, you, know, you need to have you know, like a degree of you know, like humility, you need to have uh, confidence, you need to have courage, you need to have determination. And that you know, part of the process of you know, like your, why you should be coached is that there will be somebody with you who's going to ask you um, questions that you've perhaps never been asked before or that you have been asked, but when you've answered them, you haven't necessarily been asked another question around that and then another question. And somebody might not have challenged you and somebody might not have encouraged you to uh, engage in so like a 360 degree feedback exercise. Uh, you might not have had feedback from stakeholders in your organization or people that you work with. And a coach will help you to see uh, different perspectives you know, around you, like the things that you're working on. Now, one of the things that uh, I'm occasionally challenged on, uh, and I tend to push back on this, is that when we think about coaching, we often say that, well, um, coaching is different to mentoring because a mentor needs to have the experience within that industry sector. And coaches generally don't because they can ask questions around the individual's needs to help them develop. My personal belief is that if you're working with a coach, you, know, you will speak the same language. So if it's a, a leadership position, you, know, you will understand that language. If it's about self-development, you will understand that language. If it's communication, you, you'll understand that. And in working with somebody who can you know, like help you to you know, like raise your, your like self-awareness, which you know, can be challenging you know, and it can be uh, frightening and you know, in some cases it can be disappointing. I have had um, clients that have been you know, like very upset, very disappointed, very concerned about feedback that they've received from you know, either an assessment or from you know, other feedback mechanisms. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's all part of the process of growth. And when you approach coaching, and again, sorry, it's my personal opinion, you, know, you, you have to be in the right place for it to happen. And coaching has to be the right thing for you. And if it's not coaching, then you know, a really good coach will identify that the time is just not right. And they might say, you know, not now, later. Or they might say, look, you, know, you might want to work with a colleague of mine. You know, it may be more mentoring. It may be more training. You know, in some cases, you know, it might be so like more of a therapeutic intervention. And you know, I've certainly had you know, clients where you know, we've had that conversation and they've gone off to more of a counseling or a psychotherapy route. Mm -hmm. you know, a good coach will be able to you know, like pick all of those pieces apart you know, and just you know, like help you in whatever it is that you want to develop in. I think um, you make a good, sorry to interrupt, David, but you make a good no, no. that there are many different kinds of coaching. So I, just an example, I just had lunch with a CEO of a large nonprofit in Canada on Friday. And he hired a coach, but the coach is really, by the time I finished sort of drilling him on how his coach works with him, he was really more of a mentor and an advisor versus where Marshall Goldsmith and both of us know him where you go in and you do a full for, um, formal 360 feedback process through stakeholders 
that's not what this CEO wanted. He wanted somebody just to bounce some ideas off, have yeah. a conversation that was private. So it, coaching can go in a thousand different ways and iterations depending on the need of the individual. Absolutely. And I think you know, that, that bit that you raised there, Ken, you know, the need of the individual is the absolute pinnacle. You know, it is the only thing that, you know, that matters. You know, when you sit down with somebody, you're like, you know, what is it that the client wants? And the, the approach that I often do, or the approach that I take you know, like more times than anything else, you know, certainly in the contracting stage, which I think is, you know, if not the most important aspect of coaching, it, you know, like it certainly comes in the top one, is that you know, when you contract you know, like with a client, it's not just about you know, the number of sessions and what is it they want. It's you know, like how do they want to work with you? you know, like what is it they actually want? And I think you know, if they just need you know, like a sounding board, then you know, that's absolutely fine. You know, like as long as you know that you, know, like you can deliver what they want. And I tend to say to you know, my clients and people that I work with that look, like I have quite an adaptive approach, which means that depending upon your needs will depend upon you know whether it's directive whether it's non-directive you know there may be times when it's more mentoring you know, there may be some aspects of training there may be some aspects of signposting mm -hmm. like advice and guidance but as long as you understand that you know, like all of that is discussed up front so that you both know how you're going to work together i think you're absolutely right you know it's you know, like you know, what does the client want does that fit the way that you work can you deliver what they want great then you know you start working together now david and i appreciate that because it's even for myself as a coach i've really discovered that i have a certain style i prefer to work in it's a and it is the adaptive style versus okay here's our methodology here's what we're doing first here's what we're doing second that's not how i work i said it's more organic like we do with these shows and we go wherever we need to go now we just have a few minutes left david and part of this is what are some of the benefits you have seen from coaching with working with your coaching clients? So if I'm listening to this show, and yes, we can get the right coach, but what are some of the things you are discovering and what are some of the benefits that these people are actually getting? And so if you could share some examples without names of some, some breakthrough results that have occurred through your mentoring or your coaching. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, so... Um, there was a, a finance director that I was working with and he was having um, some difficulty in the communication that he had with his partner and we worked together on a, a sort of emotional intelligence uh, platform and one of the things that came out of that was that his, because he was so busy, so like the majority of his communication was electronic and the movement, the important movement, was to move from the electronic aspect to literally just sitting down with his partner and having a conversation. And um, by the time that we'd um, gone through, so like I think so like by around about the so like the third session that we were having, he'd stopped uh, emailing his partner on the train to tell them what he wanted to talk about when he got home, to actually just getting home and having the conversation. Mm. So there are there are certain things that um, certainly in his case was uh, very beneficial in terms of the the relationship that he had, and that was a um, you know, a major success as far as he was concerned. In terms of um, some leaders in a, an organisation that I was working with, 
Um, these people were around about uh, one step away from board level. Um, they were all individual sessions, sorry, so they were all slightly different. But the one common theme that ran through sort of like all of the different sort of like requirements that they had was the difficulty they had in telling the sort of like the directors and their line managers what it was that was going on for them. So we worked a lot on sort of like barriers to communication, so sort of like fears and aspirations, and and what it was that was preventing people from you know, like really just you know, like seeing it, you know, like how it was. And that uh, also cascaded into the organization's uh, talent pool. So from the feedback from the leaders that I was working with, they then fed that back to uh, the talent manager who then started to change things within the, within the talent pool. Uh, from a, so like a, a life coaching perspective, um, I have a number of clients who have improved everything from, again, so like relationships, uh, self-confidence, self-esteem. Um, I've worked with uh, a number of people on um, sort of like belief systems, uh, presentation skills, uh, project management, and you know, like a whole host of other things. And I think the uh, the key thing that I find so like when I'm working with people is you know, asking so like a, a really important question up front, well, a number of really important questions up front, as you were saying. But one of the things that I always check with people is like, do you really want to do this? You know, so like, you're like, are you actually motivated to do what it is that you say you want to do? Because if you're not, then you know we can, mm -hmm. you know, we can do something. Else. We can, you know, watch Netflix. You know, for example, just going back to what you said at the beginning. Um, and you know, once once you've got that, once you've got that, yes, you're like, the, you know, I want to work on this for me, not because somebody else has suggested it, not because somebody else thinks I should do it. But I am internally motivated and driven to do this. You know, then we you know, we can work on that and we, we can do something with it. But the second thing is that they have to have the ability uh, or the capability, depending upon what the topic is, to actually achieve what it is they set out to do. So part of the part of the process for me is very much that look. Um, I we I work on reality. Um, you know, so let's really explore you know, like whether. You, know, you can actually achieve what it is that you're setting out to do. So we spend a bit of time on that. And if we do that up front, then you know, like nine times out of ten, you know, we'll get to where we're going, usually in quite a you know, quite a quick period of time. Great. Thanks, David. Now, David, we're almost at the end of the show. Can you believe it? And what I'd like you to do is to share with the audience your top three or four principles that you teach others in terms of characters, qualities, that you believe are important to be successful in life that you embraced and have implemented yourself? Uh, now, that, that is a really good question. Uh, that is one that I would normally say, you know, like, let me go and think about that, which probably leads into uh, really so like, you know, like some of the key things. Um, one of them is don't confuse perception with reality. Uh, there are a multitude of different ways that you can look at something. So as a quick example, you know, like if you've got a coffee mug and it's on a bench and you're looking at it and the handle is on the left-hand side, if somebody is directly opposite to them, it's on the right-hand side. So there are lots and lots of different ways to see things. And one of the things within that is you know, don't be frightened to open your mind to you know, other people's perspectives. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with them, 
but being aware of them you know, will make you sort of like a, a more holistic individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, something else that comes with that, um, courage you like, sounds really, really good, but it's really, you know, it can be really challenging. So there are some things that you will do that will feel painful you know, like at certain points. There is nothing wrong with that. You, know, you don't have to have this, oh well, um, you know, and forgive me for using the term, but you know, I saw this macho approach of you know, you know, nothing's going to get to me, because sometimes it does. That is absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Um, be aware um, of your own self-awareness. Certainly, you know, like, uh, we all have biases. Be aware of those. It links into, uh, links into perspectives uh, and perceptions. There is a, a quote which um, I've forgotten the author's name, but I, it's something that I tell people uh, in any coaching engagement I start with, and it's what I um, talk to, so like new coaches, new mentors about, is that not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing is going to change until it's faced. Mm-hmm. So you know, when, you're, you know, when you're working with people, when you're looking at yourself, you're like, just you're like, be aware of you know, what's going on. So you know, like your own self-awareness um, and be curious. That is, so I'm naturally curious. I have loads of stuff saved on my computer and so like on bookshelves about lots and lots of different things. And I think the, you know, within that, the more curious you can be, then you know, the more aware you are of you know, where you can signpost to or you're like, what might be going on. And I think so like, as a, that could probably go on and on and on, but as a, as a final point, um, I think so it's, you know, the more aware you are of different interventions then you know the more you can recognize so like what's going on in the client and something falls out of that which is that you know once upon a time you know it was always oh well, you know, you've got strengths and weaknesses therefore you need to work on your weaknesses and i forget who said it and it, it either comes from uh, from good to great or in search of excellence but there's a reference in there about you know, recognize that you can spend a lot of time working on things that you're not very good at to only become mediocre when you could spend a lot more time working on things that you're good at and become you know, like exceptional. That's actually my quote, David. So anyways. A good degree talks about it too, focusing on your strengths and developing. We have a statement, developing your weaknesses is highly overrated. So, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I, I knew I'd read it from somebody so like who was so like an authority in the matter. So thank you, thank you for that. Well, I'm sure these other ones in in search of excellence, Tom Peters uh, and Jim Collins, they're, they're awesome as well. Now, David, we have to wrap up the show, but if people want to get a hold of you, what's your um, website URL and the name of your company? Okay, so um, if they want to get a hold of me with anything to do with uh, the personal services that I have then my company is called Perceptual Reality and the address for that is www.perceptualreality.co.uk If they want to find me on LinkedIn, it's David Munro-Jones and if they want to find out more about the IAPCNM in terms of anything to do with coach or mentor accreditation or training course accreditation, then the website address for that is www.coach-accreditation.services. 
Well, David, thank you for uh, spending your evening with us and our morning to be able to record this. And of course, when people are listening, this could be anywhere, anytime uh, into the future. So it could be five years from this very moment in the middle of the night, somebody's listening to your voice. Yep, bless them. <laughs> well, David, thank you for taking the time to join us. No, Ken, it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to be invited. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, SOS listeners, David Monroe Jones, and go to his sites or look, we'll put it all in the show notes for you. But one of the things we're really trying to emphasize for you is that we all go through journeys in life, but David losing his father young and still overcome that, overcame it, moving forward, and then focusing on development. If we're going to be the leaders, the individuals that we want to be in our life, then it's going to take development and maybe a coach, maybe a mentor can apply to that or a consultant of some sort. We're all here to reach and help and support one another. As always, thank you for listening to SOS. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, leave a review or some kind of comments on whatever platform you're listening on. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.